Hi, welcome to On the Investor's Minds. I'm Tai Hui, the Chief Market Strategist for Asia Pacific at JP Morgan Asset Management. And thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time to learn about what's on the investors' minds and how that fits in with your portfolio construction and asset allocation. Now, in our last episode, we discussed the weak Chinese data and how many of these issues are linked back to the real estate sector. We've received a lot of questions on the possible impact on the Chinese financial sector and other global repercussions. This is a very large topic, so I do want to focus on two things. First, is the Chinese banking sector at risk of a systemic crisis? Number two, is the weakness in the Chinese economy and real estate exporting deflation to the global economy? As always, we will have the investment implications and our three key takeaways at the end of this podcast. So let's start with the real estate sector and the Chinese banking system. Sluggish sales in the residential property markets have created pressure on developers, especially those in the private sector. Country Garden, which was considered to have a stronger balance sheet amongst the private developers, is also facing a liquidity challenge in making interest payments to creditors. Meanwhile, local government fiscal revenue is undermined by weak land auctions, and there are also rising concerns that their related financial vehicles could see a greater chance of default. Now, exposure to developers and mortgages varies by individual banks. But at the industry level, 5.7% of bank loans in the first quarter of 2023 were made towards property developers and 16.7% to mortgages, according to the People's Bank of China. Now, the overexposure to the real estate sector, which includes developers and mortgages, tends to be higher for larger banks, around 30 to 35%, in line with the higher regulatory limits permitting their loan share toward these sectors. Yet, their larger banks also have a higher level of capital than smaller banks, providing more buffer towards potential losses. For example, the larger banks have a capital reserve ratio of around 15 to 16% versus 11 to 13% for smaller regional banks and local banks. And moreover, Chinese banks have also made sizable loan loss provisions. The provision coverage ratio or the percentage of low quality assets that banks must make provision for is around 200%. Of course, there are other contingent scenarios that could place more stress on the banking sector and broader financial system. Much of the financial stress has been on the private sector developers, but some state-owned developers have recently reported facing challenges in their sales. Moreover, lower real estate prices could undermine the value of collaterals made to banks and put further pressure on write-offs. That said, we would expect the authorities to step in to support the large state-owned banks if such stress scenario occurs. Overall, we see a bigger risk to the bank's long-term profitability instead of a risk to the financial sector. Current mortgage borrowers could demand lower rates. One proposal to resolve the local government financing vehicle liquidity challenge is to lengthen loan tenure with cheap interest rates. All these could help to improve liquidity and buy time at the expense of lenders' profit margin. Ultimately, we still see stronger confidence in the housing market to be the key in resolving the current round of financial stress. In addition to policies relaxing purchases, greater tolerance for property price movements could be needed to reset potential buyers' expectations that real estates will be a worthy asset to own. Now, the second question is whether China could export deflation. China's Producer Price Index, or PPI, has been on a year-on-year decline since October 2022, and this raised questions on whether this could lead to lower consumer good prices elsewhere in the world and help central banks out. 
Now, we did see a close relationship between China's PPI, export price index, and the U.S. import price index. Hence, in theory, decline in China's PPI could help to cool U.S. inflation. That said, U.S. sticky inflation situation today is more coming from the service sector and the residual impact from rising rent. Core goods contribution to inflation has weakened in recent months. Moreover, with corporate profit margin under pressure, it remains to be seen how much of this lower cost could be passed on to U.S. consumers. I think it's fair to say that the current Chinese economic situation is not adding inflation pressure to the global economy. Not only China's export prices are soft, cautious consumer sentiment in China could also impact on European exports and luxurious goods demand. Now, another angle of the Chinese economy on global inflation is via the commodity markets. Soft growth momentum is likely to suppress global demand of selected commodities. In terms of gross goods imports, nearly 20% of Chinese imports are mineral fuels and oils, and China's growth deceleration would therefore be a major headwind for Asia's commodity exporters, such as Malaysia and Indonesia. As for Australia, 45% of China's ores, slag, and ash imports comes from Australia. So continued weakness in China's property market will challenge Australia's exports to China in this category. Given Australia's economic reliance on its exports of coal and iron ore, weak commodity demand could signify a slower demand for Australian dollar. So what does this mean for investors? The banking sector has the capacity to absorb deterioration in lending quality via its balance sheets and earnings. There are also measures available to ease liquidity issues facing LGFVs, developers, and their suppliers. However, the turnaround in these stresses will require a stabilization in the real estate sector and market confidence. The measures around those so far have provided the condition to stabilize, but a trigger to more optimistic sentiment is still needed, both for the property market and broad Chinese investment assets. Until then, the broader Asia and emerging markets are still likely to outperform China, even though individual companies have posted strong gains year-to-date. Weak demand from China may facilitate lower global inflation via cheaper exports and subdued demand for commodities. The final outcome will depend on whether retailers fully pass on the lower cost to their consumers in the US and in Europe. On commodities, we believe that the current valuation in industrial metals and energy have taken into account the possible of more stimulus from the Chinese authorities. That said, this will take place against a backdrop of softening momentum in both Europe and the US. So three key takeaways. Number one, the Chinese banks have some buffer against rise in bad loans via their loss provisions, profitability, and capital. Policy to improve real estate market sentiment is still the most critical in improving recovery momentum. Number two, weak recovery in China helps to cap global inflation pressure, although whether the US and Europe consumers will see the direct benefits via cheaper consumer goods remains to be seen. Given the prospects of slower growth in the US and Europe in the months ahead, commodity prices are likely to be range-bound with downside risk if Beijing does not introduce more measures to boost the housing market and the economy. Number three, as we still see the long-term investment potential in China, other Asian markets could enjoy stronger performance in the short term with brighter earnings outlook. Investors have already reflected their concerns on China via light positioning and undemanding valuations. Hence, we still see long-term prospects of investing in China, 
This includes the internet sector, as well as in areas relating to renewable energy and electric vehicles, despite weak year-to-date performance. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share this with your friends and colleagues, and also consider subscribing so you get the latest episode. If there are topics that you would like to hear from us, please reach out to your JP Morgan Asset Management representative. This content is intended for information only, based on assumptions in current market conditions, and are subject to change. No warranty of accuracy is given. This content does not contain sufficient information to support investment decisions. It is not to be construed as research, legal, regulatory, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Investments involve risks. Investors should seek professional advice or make an independent evaluation before investing. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate, including loss of capital. Past performance and yield are not indicative of current or future results. Forecasts and estimates may or may not come to pass. JP Morgan Asset Management is the asset management business of JP Morgan Chase and Company and its affiliates worldwide.